Well, this week we continue with our sermon series. Today, talking about one of the five solas as we celebrate Reformation Sunday. As you may recall, Pastor Jeff introduced our sermon series by sharing a message on Christ alone. That was last week. And prefaced his message with a brief history lesson on the Reformation. As today is Reformation Sunday, I'd like us to explore how the Reformation impacted Scripture, which is our theme for this morning. So let's begin by reviewing what led Martin Luther, sort of the father of the Reformation, to challenge the authority of the Holy Roman Catholic Church. Now, as a brief aside, in this service and through our uh, series over the summer, really since COVID began in our blended services, uh, we recite our affirmation of faith, which is a Reformed tenet, using the Apostles' Creed. We'll do it again here in just a little bit. And you may recall that the Apostles' Creed mentions the Holy Catholic Church. It goes something like this. I believe in the Holy Ghost, the Holy Catholic Church, the communion of saints, the forgiveness of sins, etc. Now, in this case, the, the use of the term Catholic Church is with the lowercase c, Catholic. And what that means is the universal church or the church universal so in the Apostles' Creed, the Holy Catholic Church is the church universal as opposed to what we know as the Roman Catholic Church or the big C, uppercase C, Catholic Church. Now this can be confusing when you consider that the Reformation was sort of a movement away from the Catholic uppercase C Church, yet we mention the Holy Catholic lowercase C Church in our affirmation of faith, again a Reformed tenet. So we'll get to what all that means in just a little bit, but I understand that it can be confusing. Nevertheless, the difference is important, especially today as we celebrate Reformation Sunday and we celebrate our Reformed faith. So for today, I won't delve into all the details of the Reformation, but rather I'll focus on the tenet of sola scriptura, which is Latin for by scripture alone. As we heard last week from Pastor Jeff, Sola Scriptura is one of the five solas that came out of the Protestant Reformation. And the Reformers believed that Scripture alone was the only inerrant, meaning it doesn't have any errors, infallible source for revelation, and therefore Scripture alone was the primary source available for instruction on all matters. So for us, Bible is pretty important. Well, as many of you know, uh, I did not grow up in the church and, and actually received my Bible, first ever Bible, as a gift when I was a freshman in college. In fact, I still have that Bible because it was used very little during uh, that period of time in my life, and in fact became a reference tool that I put on my shelf. Obviously, through my faith journey, I've learned that the Bible is more than a reference book. It's a living, breathing uh, Bible that can play a role in our lives each and every day. And the Reformers believed in that as well. Now, that's not always been the case. The Reformers alleged that the Roman Catholic Church had elevated the church leadership, the bishops and the popes, and the religious traditions that ensued as, uh, to a position of authority equal to Scripture in all matters. 
Now, while the, the, the Roman Catholic Church may not have denied the authority of Scripture outright, by placing the church leaders and the church traditions on the same level of Scripture, their religion or their church often superseded the authority and the sufficiency of the Bible altogether. So this explains why reformers like Martin Luther and John Calvin argued that Scripture alone, sola scriptura, should be the ultimate source available for instruction on all matters and not rely on religious leaders and traditions above Scripture. Now, in addition to their use of tradition and leaders with, as authority in the church, it's important to remember that in the time of the Reformation, much of what we know as the Holy Scriptures were written in Latin and were used or read by the priest to the congregants in Latin in a language that the congregants couldn't understand. Now, I don't know about you, but if I'm not conversant in Latin, and so if you read to me in Latin or in most any other language for that matter, um, other than English, I'm likely not to understand much of what you're saying. So what I thought I would do this morning is, is offer you a little bit of scripture in a different language, assuming that I can find it here. And I'd like for you to listen to this and see what you can make of it. Bereshit bara Elohim et hashamayim ve'et haaretz. Vaharetz hayata tohu vavohu vahoshek al penei to home. Ruach Elohim marapet al hamayim. Shall I get that? I'm sorry? It is in Hebrew. I should invite you to come up and you could finish the sermon in Hebrew for us. But I won't do that to you. Uh, but what I would encourage you to do, obviously this is a sermon on uh, Scripture, so I... I would say, let's open our Bibles and see what I just read. Now, the Bibles that are in your pew uh, look like this. They're the New Revised Standard Version, or the NRSV. It's a, a typical translation found in most Presbyterian churches. In this church, we also use the New International Version, or the NIV, which many of you uh, may have at home, or as I like to give credit where credit is due, uh, Greg Langdon has coined this phrase, our Bible accessing devices, which also look like a cell phone. And so this is the one time, the one time pass that I will give you today that you may pull out your cell phone in worship if you have a Bible on your cell phone that you would like to use. So you're, you're welcome to grab your cell phone or reach for that Bible in your pew, the NRSV. And let's look up it's going to make it real easy for you here at the very first of the Bible. Let's open up to the book of Genesis, chapter 1, verses 1 and 2. Genesis, chapter 1, verses 1 and 2. And we're going to review what I just read to you in Hebrew. Now, of course, this wouldn't be a good sermon on the Holy Scriptures if I didn't have you open a Bible. So I will read a little bit with you and we'll look at both translations. Genesis 1, verses 1 and 2 from the NRSV reads as this. In the beginning, when God created the heavens and the earth, the earth was a formless void and darkness covered the face of the deep, while a wind from God swept over the face of the waters. 
And if you're looking at the NIV, you'll note something similar, but clearly not the exact same translation. The NIV goes like this. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. Now the earth was formless and empty. Darkness was over the surface of the deep. And the Spirit of God was hovering over the waters. Now, whether you read the passage from the NRSV or from the NIV or perhaps from Hebrew or even from Latin, the fact is that you all can read and understand this message on your own. Someone isn't reading it to you, and more importantly, someone is not interpreting it for you. I'm sure that we would all like to think that if Pastor Jeff or if I were reading and interpreting Scripture for you, it would be a godly rendition. But such might not always be the case. And it certainly was not the case, according to the Reformers some 500 years ago, when the priests were the ones responsible for reading and interpreting Scripture. Consider how easy it might have been, or even could be today, to sway one's belief by teaching them something that they can't even read or understand for themselves. And even if it was taught, even with what was taught, was in fact what we would consider the infallible, inerrant Word of God, those folks were never taught why. They never were given any context. It's like memorizing something without ever learning the purpose or the importance of the information. There's great value in being able to read and interpret Scripture for yourself. So, let's go back one more time and look at Genesis 1 and 2. And listen as I read the translation of the Hebrew words. And this is from the first uh, verse. In the beginning created God, meaning God created, the heavens and the earth. Very simple. Now, in verse 2, I, I would ask for you all to indulge me in one little favor. Close your eyes for a minute as I uh, read you the Hebrew translation of verse 2. And the earth was formless and void and darkness was over the face of the deep and the Spirit of God was hovering over the face of the waters. Okay, you can open your eyes. And as I read that scripture over and over again to myself, literally, I, I envisioned that the earth was formless and void and darkness was over the face of the deep. Literally, there was nothing. I pictured in my mind something terrifying and utterly lonely, almost like being shut in a large, empty, silent, dark room. And now let this sink in for a moment. And the Spirit of God was hovering over the face of the waters. The Spirit of God. And note that in the Hebrew, Spirit is a feminine noun. The Spirit of God, she was hovering. Hovering like in a loving, pursuing, maternal manner. She was hovering over the face of the waters. Have you ever found yourself in a large, empty, silent 
dark space? Consider that the precedent has already been established that God is constantly hovering and pursuing over all of creation. Over all of creation. And that certainly includes me and you. Now that's a powerful interpretation in just the first two verses of the Bible. But that certainly wasn't my initial understanding of this passage. In fact, I've read those words time and time again, and it wasn't until just recently that I came to this interpretation. The point I wish to highlight here is that God's holy word is alive to us if we allow it to be. The Bible comes alive to us each time we read it, invoking the Holy Spirit to help us interpret what we're reading in our given situation. Now therein lies an important distinction. We can read the Bible literally as a human, or we can ask God to help us make sense of the Holy Scriptures. Because quite honestly, there are parts of the Bible that can be confusing and even hard to believe. So let's explore that for a moment. Here's a vitally important consideration. The eloquence of Scripture does not mean that everything in the Bible is perfectly clear, but rather that the, atten- the essential teachings are pure. Let me, let me read that one more time. The eloquence of Scripture does not mean that everything in the Bible is perfectly clear, but rather the essential teachings are pure. As an example, let's focus on the book of Exodus. Now, I'm not going to ask you to open your book and read the entire story. Uh, We spent several weeks this past summer learning how God delivered his people out from the oppression by way of Moses leading the Israelites out of Egypt, ultimately escaping Pharaoh and his advancing army at the Red Sea. Probably remember the story of the Red Sea. If nothing else, that story of Moses parting the Red Sea is well known. Whether you believe it solely as a divine act or whether you apply some science or meteorology to the phenomena, I believe it's certainly plausible. Personally, I've taken a relatively literal interpretation of the Exodus story. I believe it happened as it was written in the Bible. But not everyone believes as I do. In fact, biblical scholar Thomas Dozman takes issue with the story as it's presented in Scripture. In his biblical commentary, which I read for a recent seminary class, he writes in regard to the Israelites leaving Egypt, and I quote, the specific dates for the Exodus, along with careful numbering of people, encourage a historical interpretation of the story. By the vague reference to geography and the unrealistic number of the group This indicates that the book of Exodus is not history. Dozman explains that extrapolating dates from other parts of Scripture presented conflicting information. Furthermore, he asserts there should have been at least some archaeological evidence for the millions of people that were moving in the desert, but none has been found. He goes on to add, The internal problems of dating and geography further suggest that the book of Exodus is not history, but legendary literature. And in regard to the activities at the Red Sea, Dozman writes, 
the story of defeat of Pharaoh and his army in the Red Sea is a cultic legend. Now, I was a bit troubled when I read his commentary. He's a biblical scholar. I get that. In my mind, this calls into question the validity of at least this biblical story, if not others. So naturally, I asked my seminary professor for an explanation. Why are we learning that perhaps the Bible is not entirely true in seminary? The Reformed tenet of sola scriptura affirms that Scripture alone was the only inerrant, no errors, infallible source for revelation. And, and during our children's message with Miss Aaron, we hear every week, we hear Miss Aaron refer to, to her Bible as the truth. My professor did not give me a simple answer to the question, but rather he challenged me in my class to discern just what Dozman's remarks might imply. Certainly there are, or there is the question of interpretation and looking at how each of us individually interpret any given passages, there are differences. In looking at biblical translations like the NRSV or the NIV or the message, there are differences. In looking at how one translates from Hebrew or Greek or Latin, there are differences. And recalling that the eloquence of Scripture does not mean that everything in the Bible is perfectly clear, but rather the essential teachings are pure. One critical truth surely exists in Exodus. God delivered his people. Perhaps to some the details are fuzzy, but the underlying essential lesson here that God delivers his people is the inerrant, infallible word of God. Now when the details are fuzzy, it can be easy for us to focus on our differences and lose sight of these underlying essential truths. There's always more, there are always more than one way to uh, interpret a piece of scripture. But when we argue over whose understanding is better or more correct, we are missing the point. We must strive to uncover God's theological truths in scripture. Yet, in this process, we must be careful not to rely on our own interpretation, but rather invoke the Holy Spirit in our reading and in our understanding. We might have heard that before. In fact, as we read together earlier from Peter's second letter, we heard that above all, you must understand that no prophecy of Scripture came about by the prophet's own interpretation of things. For prophecy never had its origin in the human will. But prophets, though human, spoke from God as they were carried along by the Holy Spirit. When interpreting Scripture, let us always remember to invoke the Holy Spirit. In our interpretation, we must also be careful not to take the passage out of context. Now, this can happen by accident especially when we're trying to decipher something on our own. Taking Scripture out of context can also be intentional. For example, what happens when we interpret and use Scripture for our own purposes? Now, I'm going to ask you to indulge me once more in opening your Bible or your Bible accessing device. This time, we're going to be in the New Testament, in uh, the, Paul's letter to the Ephesians. 
that's partway through the New Testament. And I'm going to read it to you as well. But if you'd like to follow along, we're in Ephesians chapter 5, verses 22 through 24. Now, some of you biblical scholars already know what I'm getting ready to say, and you're scratching your head saying, Steve, are you really going to go there? I am going to go there. Ephesians chapter 5, verses 22 through 24. This is from the NIV translation. Here we go. Wives, submit yourself to your husbands as you do to the Lord. For the husband is the head of the wife, as Christ is the head of the church, his body which he is the Savior. Now, as the church submits to Christ, so also wives should submit to their husbands in everything. Now, the wording is slightly different in the NRSV or other translations, but you get the gist. Now, let's pretend for a moment that I share that passage with my wife this evening. It might go something like this. Honey, I've been reading the Bible And did you know that in the Bible you should submit yourself to me? In fact, the Bible says that the husband is the head of the wife and the wives should submit to their husbands in everything. Now, I can assure you that she will not ask me to see that particular passage as she's actually chasing me out of the house. In fact, you probably won't have to worry about me ever preaching again. You'll just need to worry about what you're going to be wearing to my funeral. But seriously, I fear that there are far more men that we'd like to admit that use this passage as a form of oppression, if not outright abuse. They have clearly taken this passage out of context. So if you're still in the Word and you are looking at Ephesians chapter 5, let's look at verse 21, where the actual context of this passage is Ephesians 5, 21 through 33. And by reading verse 21, we'll note a very different context and a very different interpretation. So verse 21 in the NIV reads, Submit to one another out of reverence for Christ. And in the NRSV it reads, Be subject to one another out of reverence for Christ. Now this passage, taken in context, refers to mutual submission, not simply a wife submitting to her husband. Further along in the passage, (coughs) husbands, pay attention here, husbands are instructed to love their wives as Christ loved the church. Wow, that's an unconditional, sacrificial love to which husbands are called. Now, that sounds like husbands are to submit to their wives, if you ask me. But it's, it's all about context. Submit to one another out of reverence for Christ. Now, if we truly accept that sola scriptura, in other words, scripture alone is the only inerrant, error-free, infallible source for revelation, and therefore the scripture alone is the primary source available for all instruction on all matters, then we must exercise caution not only in interpretation and context, but also its use. Any use of Scripture to oppress or marginalize is not honoring God's Word as it intended. I think that's really important. Let me repeat it. Any use of Scripture to oppress or marginalize is not honoring God's 
holy word as intended. I believe we're all familiar with what's known as hammer passages within the Bible that are used to uh, denigrate often already marginalized people. Biblical truth is manifested in fostering love, not hate. I think it's quite possible that each of us can hold firm to our own belief without resorting to using the Bible as a weapon. Now let us consider one last scripture passage in our message today. Again, or although you're not welcome, you're welcome to read along with me if you'd like. I won't ask you to open your, your Bible again this time, as the passage is in fact referenced in your bulletin. I encourage you to review it often. So let's meditate on it once again. It's Paul's second letter to Timothy, which we heard earlier. Timothy chapter 3, verses 14 through 17. But as for you, continue in what you have learned and have become convinced of, because you know those whom you learned it, and how from infancy you have known the holy scriptures, which are able to make you wise for salvation through faith in Christ Jesus. All scripture is God-breathed and is useful for teaching and rebuking, correcting and training in righteousness, so that the servant of God may be thoroughly equipped for every good work. Paul speaks of what Timothy has learned and become convinced of, and how the Holy Scriptures are able to make him wise for salvation through faith in Christ Jesus. Let me assure you that, as mentioned earlier, the Bible is alive and is as relevant today as it was 2,000 years ago. In essence, Paul is speaking to you and to me in addition to speaking to Timothy. Let us be assured that all Scripture is God-breathed. Even though everything is in the Bible is not perfectly clear, we affirm the essential teachings are pure, inerrant and infallible Word of God. And it is useful for teaching and rebuking and correcting and training in righteousness so that the servant of God, that would be you and me, the servant of God may be thoroughly equipped for every good work. Today we celebrate Re Reformation Sunday and learn together of the reformed tenet of sola scriptura. The scripture alone is the only inerrant, infallible source for revelation. And therefore, scripture alone is the primary source available for instruction on all matters. When studying the Bible, we have come to understand the importance of inviting the Holy Spirit in to help us interpret. As, and we have come to understand the importance of context. That there's more, there's more than one concept that, or there's one more concept that I would like to share with you uh, in regards to reading our Bible. When reading the Bible, I encourage you to read it with one another. How was that accomplished, you might ask? Well, I'm glad that you asked. As I mentioned in our announcements this morning, we have a number of opportunities for you to read and study together on Sunday mornings. We presently offer seven adult Sunday school classes, as well as age-specific youth and children's classes. In addition, you can browse our website for, to discover opportunities like our small group ministry and Wednesday evening programming. Suffice to say, there is something here for everyone of every age so that we may study the Bible together, support each other, and embrace our mission to grow in the love of Christ, share the good news, and serve the world. 
on this Reformation Sunday, I leave with you this passage of Scripture, identified by Martin Luther as one of his inspirations for his work in the Protestant Reformation. I find it both appropriate for our theme today and applicable in our lives. It comes from the book Romans chapter 1, verse 17. For in the gospel, the righteousness of God is revealed, a righteousness that is by faith from first to last, just as it is written. The righteous will live by faith. May it be so this day and forevermore. In the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen.